I'm Rosemary Orchard, and I am joined today by my lovely co-host, David Sparks, and this is Automators, where we are going to try and tell you how to get your technology to do your bidding for you. Hello, David. Hello, Rosemary. How are you today? I I am uh, automation-full and notification-full, because I've been experimenting in advance of this week's episode. Are you feeling the end of the year pushing down on you? A little bit, yeah, but it's good because, you know, with January comes a new start, new automations, uh, lots of New Year automations, which I'm sure we'll get to in a future episode. But yeah. uh, I've been playing with a lot of things ready for next year. Hey, Rose, before we get started with the show, you've got some news for us. I do. I have been busy typing uh, to the point where my fingers actually hurt. That's how much I've been typing. And I have a book uh, all about shortcuts. Yay. So, uh, Rosemary Orchard is the brand new author with the Take Control series, and she's a book called Take Control of Shortcuts, which is an excellent uh, explanation of how shortcuts work and, and how to use them. I, uh, I'm really uh, happy with the way this came out, Rose. Yeah, it, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, I've, I've got obviously the background explanations in there as to how, you know, like everything works. Like what is a repeat loop and why, why, what's the difference between repeat and repeat with each and how do you use an if? But I decided the best thing to do for everybody because nobody likes just sitting there reading is to actually teach people how to build shortcuts. So there are tons of example shortcuts in there from controlling AirPods Pro noise canceling to working with Airtable APIs. Um, and there's hopefully something in there for everybody. Awesome. Well, congratulations on getting this out the door. I know how hard you've been working on it. And it's a beautiful book. And I think a lot of people are going to learn a ton about shortcuts. Thanks to all this work you've done. So oh, how you. does somebody get it? Uh, the easiest thing to do is go to takecontrolbooks.com slash shortcuts. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. And then uh, just get it there. That's the easiest way to get it. You'll get it in all the formats. So EPUB, uh, Mobi for Kindles and uh, PDF as well. Excellent. Congratulations, Rose. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for me, too, because it means I get to take Christmas off. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, go check it out, and uh, let's get back to the show. Yeah. We had a show, the last show that went up, we had a segment on it, on iBeacon. We've had a lot of questions about iBeacon since then, and we've had that on our list of shows to prepare for a long time. So we thought, hey, you know what? Let's just do it now. So Rose and I have been... Uh, burying ourselves in iBeacon apps and hardware the last two or three weeks in preparation. And today we're going to talk about automation with iBeacon. Yeah. And it, this is a really fun technology because it was developed by Apple and it was announced in 2013. So it's not something that's, you know, hot off the presses. It's been around for a while. Um, but it is one of those things that's more used by developers or, you know, somebody who owns a store or something like that rather than you know, average you and me. So it's it's one of those things of, you know, is is this something I can really use? And the answer is most definitely yes. Yeah, so it's based on Bluetooth low energy. And uh, like Rose said, it's been around for a while. The original pitch for this was like the idea of you go into a museum and your iPhone can know exactly where in the museum you are. So it can give you information about, you know, the display you're standing in front of. Or if you go into an Apple store, uh, today and it says, Hey, welcome to the Apple store. You know, how did that happen? I'm pretty sure they're using iBeacons inside the store to do that. Mm -hmm. I was told after the last episode that they are indeed using iBeacons. So. Yeah. So, so really what it is, um, the, the very short summary is for automators, it's a trigger, you know, a trigger. We have triggers that we've talked about on the show where you, um, 
connect to a Wi-Fi, and that's a trigger, and then things happen. And that we have talked about triggers where you're at a location where it uses the GPS. iBeacon is another sort of trigger, and it's a very much it's a very tight trigger in terms of location. Like um, if you use a location trigger in your house, it's going to trigger when you're within blocks of your house because it's just not that refined. You know, it can't get down to you know within feet. Whereas mm-hmm. with an iBeacon you have the power to set the transmit power of it and you can make it very, very much tighter than a typical location-based trigger. Yes, definitely. So an example that I I can definitely offer, I've got two examples actually. I live on the fourth floor of my building. If you send me a notification while I am two blocks away, the time that it takes me to walk those two blocks to my house, get into the building and up to the fourth floor and into my apartment, I will have completely and utterly forgotten whatever it is that notification was telling me to do. Same with work. I, I work on the sixth floor. Our lift is so slow, it could be Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, you genuinely think when you get in and press the button, it's going to say, I'm depressed as it closes the doors uh, <laughs> because it is that slow. Um, and so if I get a notification on the ground floor, you know, I'm still have going to have forgotten it by the time I've got into my office. So it's great to have an eye beacon somewhere in that vicinity so that then when I actually get, you know, I exit the lift and I'm walking to the door, you know, be this my apartment or my office, I then get a notification that says, hey, you need to just water your plants today. Yeah. Or, you know, something simple or doesn't have to be simple. It could say, what scene would you like to set? Um, or something like that, because, you know, this this kind of thing you can integrate with all sorts of different stuff, HomeKit and everything else. Um, and it's really great to have that at the appropriate point in time. And iBeacons offer that. Yeah. So the advantage is it's a more granular location aware. Like one of the tests I've been doing this week is I've got one in my studio and I've just been having it give me a notification when I enter the studio. You know, I'm just testing the trigger. I'm not really turning it into automation yet. But you know, the idea that I could have it trigger when I enter a room. Now, mm-hmm. that's the that's the benefit. That the 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 downside is it this is way more fiddly for an automator. Like, you know, connecting a trigger to say this location or this Wi-Fi signal. And I think those are the two competitors to what you get mm-hmm. with it with these uh iBeacons. Those are dead simple. You know, you you put a pin on a map and you're done. Or you you give it the name of a you know of a Wi-Fi network and you're done. With this, you actually have to set up the hardware. We're going to talk about that during the show. There is some configuration in the hardware, and you actually, using software, can't need to tune the intensity of the signal it gives off. Like if you turn it all the way up, it's not going to go off just when I walk in my studio. It's going to go off when I walk in my house. And um, even uh, and I'll talk about through the show. I've had challenges trying to get it just right as I've been playing with this the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's something else that, that we should mention because uh, Shortcuts also has a Bluetooth device trigger. Um, and theoretically, if you have a Bluetooth device that is always on your desk, so say, for example, a Bluetooth speaker that's plugged into power, so it's a more powerful Bluetooth speaker, then you could theoretically use that um, as a shortcuts trigger. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just if we use iBeacons, then we don't have the possibility, or it's extremely unlikely, let's put it that way, that somebody else is going to have the exact same iBeacon versus a Bluetooth speaker. There could be three Bluetooth speakers with exactly the same name, and they are very easy to spoof or fake. 
Um, and so that's why an iBeacon definitely wins over a Bluetooth device there. Yeah, they're just more fiddly in general, but they yes. are, um, but they are also more customizable. Um, yes. And you know, one of the things we discovered this week or over the last few weeks as we've been testing these is that not all iBeacons are created equal. Oh, no. There is a wide choice out of there. There is also, in my case, the invisible and missing iBeacon because Amazon failed to deliver the extra test ones I ordered, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, so I the the one that both Rose and I bought I bought this over a year ago was the yeah SD- I think I actually recommended it to you yeah the the Estimo beacons E S T I M O T E they're at least when I bought them they were sold as a developer package mm-hmm. um, did they change that now Let me see. no they're still available as a developer package I'll make sure the link is in the show notes yeah. um and uh, it, it's advertised as a developer package, but there's nothing to say that you actually need to be a developer, you know, with yeah. an Apple developer account or anything like that to use these. They're just intending them to be sold to somebody who's going to program something with them. But if you're going to use one of the apps that we're going to talk about in today's show with them, that counts as programming as far as I'm concerned. So feel free to go ahead and liberate their stock of developer beacons i think they call it the developer package because they don't want to do any customer support on ibeacons mm-hmm. which are just very fiddly even the yes. estimos which are the the least fiddly are fiddly um yeah. I, I like the estimos also they have a nice app in the app store mm-hmm. um, that allows you to make those changes that we're going to kind of go through and overall you know, having bought i bought two different third-party beacons ibeacons and from amazon uh, one of them was the most recommended, the the Blue Charm Beacon, and uh, they the app they recommend you use to tune it is not been updated for the most recent iPhones. It is very cryptic how to use it. I, I found directions on their website. I followed them. I also they had a video. I followed along with the video, and I never got that beacon to work. So, um, yeah, it, it's just you know kind of. Be careful. The estimates are the most expensive, but I think they're probably the ones that are going to give you the least frustration. And yeah, so there, it's $99 for a pack of four estimate beacons, which is not super cheap. But at the same time, they are absolutely guaranteed to work. Now, if you have uh, time to play around with something like this, you know, as, as this episode releases, we're right before uh, the holiday season where, you know, depending on where you are, you may have a good couple of holiday days. Uh, with Amazon Prime shipping, you may be able to order, say, five or so different kinds of iBeacons and play with them uh, during some of that miraculous free downtime that we have um, and uh, give them a go. Um, unfortunately, the ones I ordered, I ordered the Gigaset ones, which on Amazon Germany had really great reviews. Um, but mine had a slight issue with the Amazon courier not being able to locate the door to my building and saying that there was no entrance. <laughs> so I unfortunately can't recommend those, but I can't say that they're bad either because I haven't got a chance to test them yet. Yeah, and the blue charms. Maybe I just got a bad one. I don't know. I I will uh, continue. I'll report back as I continue to work on this. But the estimate uh, ones have been working great for me. They're not that. I think the blue charms are like fifteen dollars, and the uh, the estimates are twenty five. But you got to buy four of them. Uh, so you know that's about what you're looking at if you want to try and get into this game. Um, but the uh, but the eye beacons are like I said, an interesting concept for automators because. An iBeacon can be a trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's what really is the most interesting part of this. Because 
knowing exactly where you are in a building for us is not particularly interesting. Most of us have the ability to somehow through intuition, maybe it's looking around, maybe it's knowing which button you pressed in the elevator to know approximately where you are. But your device doesn't know where you are. And that is something that can lead to many, many automations. Yeah. So there's several bits of data related to these iBeacons. Um, the first is the identification number. It's called the UUID, which is a very long number. <laughs> that, that is... It's a universally unique ID, which yeah. means that it has to be really long and complex in order to be universally unique. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, this means that it's not the kind of thing that I would recommend that you type. Uh, I would recommend, if possible, that you copy and paste it, um, because otherwise you're going to end up with a mistake in there somewhere. I know I was trying to type one uh, earlier today, and I kept mistyping something somewhere. Um, and then I realized that I could actually copy and paste it, at which point I thought, why did I just waste 20 minutes trying to type this extremely long uh well, string, because it's a mixture of letters and uh, numbers. Yeah, so you, you get the UUID, and then you use that in your apps as the trigger. You know, it's looking for the iBeacon with that user ID, unique ID, um, and the uh, and then you're good to go. Now, you could also uh, install an app on your Mac to turn your Mac into a iBeacon transmitter, right? Yeah, yeah, you could. Um, so there's actually a couple of different things that you can do. There is a, a terminal command that you can use, um, uh, but there, there, there's also an app um, from Beacon Zone, um, which can make your Mac advertise an iBeacon. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. I've been experimenting with this, but as I already have an iBeacon in my apartment, and my Mac is right at the back of my apartment, and uh, when I was experimenting with it, if I was lying in bed, which is at the front of our apartment, uh, then my phone kept leaving the iBeacon and then re-entering the iBeacon, despite the fact that it wasn't moving. So I was waking up in the morning with a lot of notifications, um, and that was not ideal. And I couldn't quite find out how to tune that. Um, that's probably my user error, um, but I, I'm perfectly happy with my iBeacon, which is centrally located in my apartment. Now, they also, in addition to the ID number, there are two additional numbers attached to each iBeacon, it's called a major and a minor number. Mm -hmm. And for the use that we're talking about here for triggers and automation, it's not relevant, but you do need to be aware that they're there because if you have an app that requires you to give the, the details, you have to put in the major and the minor number. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this can be useful. So for example, if you wanted to uh, give all of your iBeacons the same uh, un universally unique ID, which somewhat defeats the point of it being universally unique, but you could give them all the same UUID so you know that they are yours and then differentiate between them with the major and minor. Um, I personally recommend using a UUID generator. I'll have a link to one in the show notes um, to just generate these because sitting there trying to think of, I can't even remember how many characters it is. I think it's 64 characters. Yeah. Um, to, to generate or 32, something along those lines. Uh, you know, it's, you're there going, uh, wait, okay, I'll just drag my hand over the keyboard. No, wait, I've got a semicolon in there. I didn't need that. Um, so it, it's not worth it. And a lot of these iBeacons come with a UUID already generated, and these are unique. So you can safely continue to use those without changing it. Yeah. And, and then the other real relevant number is the transmit power. And that is the number I was talking about. You know, how loud do you want the iBeacon to electronically scream when you put it somewhere? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the louder you make it, the the bigger the area that it covers for the trigger. And like, if you're looking to set one of these up on like room-based automation, that's where it takes a lot of like kind of trial and error. You, you know, mm-hmm. you set it, you try and figure out what's going to work. Like, you know, roughly negative 20 decibels, according to the charts I found is like four meters. Negative 12 is 20 meters. Four decibels is 70 meters. So, you know, you, you kind of get in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And and also understand that the louder you make it, the faster the battery dies, you know. Um, uh, but the um, but either way, you, you've got to kind of tune it. So, like, I set mine at negative 20 to start with, and it wasn't giving me enough hits. Like, it's like I would walk in the room and sometimes it wouldn't work. So then I set it to um, to negative 12, and then I was getting it downstairs. Like, you know, I was getting it in other parts of the house, and mm-hmm. and that's the kind of struggle we're talking about here. You know, a lot of the automation we cover on the show just works. You know, this is one where you really got to play with it. So right now I'm at negative 17 for whatever reason. And it seems like <laughs> that's about the right number. But it took me three or four attempts to kind of get get it to the right transmit power. Yes. Um, the other thing that you could do, um, and the Estimo app can do this. I think there's a few other apps as well. But you can actually, um, your iPhone or iPad can also be an iBeacon. Uh, I would only recommend using this for testing purposes because otherwise it will drain your device's battery, as yeah. David was mentioning there. Um, but you can use this for testing. Um, and this could be really useful if, for example, you are on a plane and you just want to play with this a little bit um, you know, as you're flying somewhere. Um, and then you can, you know, pop up on your phone and have that broadcast and iBeacon and connect to it from your iPad for testing purposes. Um, but that that's more for triggering automations than as a test than actually setting things up because this is not necessarily very configurable. Yeah, and the way you configure it, if you're going the estimate route, is just you open the app and then you you find the particular beacon, you'll see them. And um, and then they've got under, right in the app, it, it makes it very easy to see that. And not only does it show you the data, it allows you to adjust it. Yes. Um, that said, you do need to be fairly close to your iBeacon to program it. So as I said here, I am in my bedroom. The iBeacon is in the middle of my apartment. I would guess five meters away. Uh, I cannot program it right now um, because it is too far away. It is also, I should note, sitting inside a radiator. Uh, the radiator is not on, um, but that was just the easiest place where I could put it for testing purposes to make sure that it was in the middle of the apartment and to see whether or not it would keep waking up my phone in the middle of the night to go, hello, you're here again. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not, so I can now find somewhere safe to put that. Yeah. You know, I guess that's the warning part of this episode. iBeacons are fun. They're fiddly, and you're going to have to figure them out if if you want to try this. Yes, but, you are. But you can do some cool stuff with them, and we're going to talk about that right after this. This episode of Automators is sponsored by FreshBooks. Hey, freelancers, do you want to save 192 hours? Our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders, so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working on magic. And when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to all of those guessing games. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. 
FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash automators and enter automators in all caps in the how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Rose. So you've got an iBeacon working now and you've got oh, the I app. Oh, I have three. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I've got a couple of them running around and I'm using them for a bunch of different things. All right. Let's hear it. What are you doing with it? Okay, so the the one on my desk, uh, not on my desk anymore, inside the radiator at home, uh, which uh, is definitely not the best place to store these, you know, metal does affect signal, um, but it, it's working really well for me right now. Um, this one is primarily my when I get home shortcut. Um, now, my when I get home shortcut it, on its own doesn't sound very impressive until you realize it's a shortcut, so it can do all of the amazing things that shortcuts is doing. So first of all, it checks with timer to see if a timer is running. And if it is, it will stop it because this is almost certainly my commuting timer. And uh, I believe I've actually modified that recently to check if it is my commuting timer. If okay. audio is playing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And you're, and you're doing that via the shortcuts app. Yeah. Yeah. This is all inside of shortcuts. But, um, but so just, I guess just triggers. so we're clear, just so we're clear, shortcuts mm. does not recognize iBeacons as triggers. No, it doesn't. So what I have is I have pushcut triggering my shortcut. Yeah. So just like shortcuts can pop up and say, hey, would you like to run this automation? Pushcut can do exactly the same thing. So it pops up and goes, you're home, run your what? Run your I'm home shortcut. Um, and, and then that runs, um, which then launches into checking whether or not I've got a timer running. If it is my commuting timer, it stops it. Um, and then it checks whether or not I've got audio playing. And if I do have audio playing, um, then it hands it off to my HomePod. Um, so that I can take my AirPods out and uh, enjoy that. It checks my calendar, and if there's a calendar event coming up urgently, then it shows that as an alert and goes, oh, you need to get on with things because you have X calendar event in X minutes. Um, and those are obviously filled out based on the information in my calendar. And then it goes on with a few other things. You know, If I don't have an event coming up, it shows me my OmniFocus tasks that are due um or that are assigned to my home location rather um and yeah it's it's really useful because this automation can be as powerful as i want um and it i always get reminded to run it at the appropriate time yeah see i i have some get home based automations based on connection to my home wi-fi Mm -hmm. and it feels like i'm not sure why i would want to switch that out because i feel like the home Wi-Fi connection only happens when I get home, and it, it just works so solidly for me. I'm not sure I want to add the fiddliness of iBeacons to that automation. In my case, I have found that uh, when I get home, it can take a good couple of minutes for my iPhone to connect to the Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. No, I'm not sure why this is. Um I think it's just generally, um, you know, with uh, Wi-Fi, especially right inside the door, our network is not the strongest. We don't have Aero yet. Um, and uh, so, our, the you know, the Wi-Fi drops off as it gets further away from the router. Um, and it just takes a while for my phone to connect. So I have found sometimes, you know, I've got home, I've taken off my shoes, I put away my coat, been to the bathroom, wash my hands, um, you know, and unpack my bag. And I sit down at my desk. And then it triggers to say, hey, you're connected to Wi-Fi. It's like, yeah, but I've already been home for 10 minutes. <laughs> now, you had told me that you travel with iBeacons, and I took that tip to heart because I just got back from vacation. 
And one of the things I always forget to do when I go on vacation is I forget to charge because I have a couple different cameras. I forget to charge the cameras. I always forget to download the uh, the photos off the cameras as well. And mm-hmm. and I don't want to load up the memory sticks and I don't want to show up with a camera that's out of charge. So I brought an iBeacon with me in my luggage. I just put it in a hotel room. I set the transmit power so it only would trigger when I got to the room, not when I was in the mm-hmm. vicinity of the room. And it just gave me a notice that said, you know, charge and download. And um, I, I was, every time I walked in the room, I got that notification and I was free to, you know, ignore it or listen to it. But it was great because there were several times I'm like, oh yeah, I do need to charge and download. And um, so it was just a nice little reminder app for me based on very specific location, which it, it, there was no other way I could have done it because I was using the hotel Wi-Fi the whole time. So I was already connected to hotel Wi-Fi. And mm-hmm. if I had used a location trigger, it just wouldn't have been accurate enough. You know, those hotels are big and there's a lot of steel in them. I mean, it's just not going to get the location right. But but the iBeacon was perfect for that job. Yes, I have an iBeacon. It lives in my suitcase. Um, most suitcases have got like a little pocket somewhere. I have no idea what this pocket is actually for, by the way. Um, and I'm really curious because there are always like very thin pockets that are designed to like fit a couple of pens in or something. Um, I put my iBeacon in there um, and my iBeacon stays in there. Um, and when I'm traveling, um, when my phone connects to it, um, I, I don't change what it tells me. Um, but when my phone connects to it, I know that means my suitcase is nearby. Um, and then um, when when I'm actually at my hotel, then I know um, that that is when I'm back at my hotel and it runs my, not when I've got home shortcut, but a shortcut which is quite similar. Um, in many ways, it, it checks um, OmniFocus for any tasks that I wanted to do when I got back to the hotel. So if I'm taking a lot of pictures that day, then I'll I'll have a note to go through and clear out my pictures um, and things like that. Um, and it, that's primarily an OmniFocus one um, because when I'm traveling, I like to think that I have nothing to do. And it turns out that there's actually a lot of things to do when you're traveling. Like you need to make sure that you've packed everything up and you've, you check the bathroom to make sure you haven't left anything there. Or actually when you're back at the hotel and therefore on the Wi-Fi, uh, you, you want to do something because the data package is very expensive. Um, so it's really useful for that. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe you should have it say, don't check OmniFocus, you're on vacation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I've been using so OmniFocus 3.4 launched recently, um, yeah. and they have a new action called Find Items. Yeah. And I've been using this uh, to find items specifically with a you know with tags that are available. And yeah. if there are items with those tags, then it uh, opens uh, that tag in OmniFocus for me. All right. Well, so you've got you say you got four. What are you doing with the other ones? Uh, I have three iBeacons. Um, uh, the other one is my desk at work. Okay. Um, and when I get there, it tell, make sure, tells me to clock in um, and uh, make sure that I tr- start tracking my time accurately for work. Um, and then it opens um, my OmniFocus for work. For, so it's an OmniFocus perspective for work things. I would like to do a check of, hey, if there are tasks available in OmniFocus, then open the OmniFocus perspective. Um, but uh, if there are ever no tasks for work in my OmniFocus, I think something may have gone wrong. It could be a sign of the end of the world. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that both of us are really gravitated. We didn't talk about this before we started recording, but we both gravitated towards uh, usage where it's giving you notifications. We're using it as a notification beacon Mm -hmm. more than run off and create a spreadsheet. 
kind of thing, you know, automation. Yes. I mean, that's, I think, just because of the way that iBeacons work, because they are a very specific location. Um, and for me, at the very least, it's rare that I would want to automate something like appending to a spreadsheet when I get to a specific location. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it just doesn't strike me as something that would be particularly useful. Yeah. I, I, you know, thinking where you could go further with this, um, like when you get home, maybe you could change some of the, the system preferences on your iPhone because you're not as worried about battery life, you're near power. Um, mm-hmm. You could use it to send messages, like if you could say, like, have an iBeacon when I log, you know, when I show up at work, send a message to my significant other that I made it okay, or something like that, or, or maybe uh, something like that. Maybe put one in the car where you could automate message sending. Um, that, that, there is more you could do with this, but but like Rose, I I feel like the real merit is the notification stuff that you want on a specific location. Mm-hmm. I have just had a really great idea. I need to add another shortcut for when I'm leaving my hotel iBeacon to enable low power mode. Because when I'm traveling, I'm taking loads of pictures. Yeah. I don't yet have the new battery case with the specific fo- camera button. That's uh, that's one of the things on my holiday wish list this year. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if I get it. Um, but I, I usually enable low power mode as I leave my hotel room so that then I'm not worried about running out of battery throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and uh, I should... Uh, have an IP can trigger to do that. And then it can just run a shortcut, which turns low power mode on for me. Yeah, that makes sense. That new iPhone, man, the battery life is is pretty awesome. On the oh, yeah, it's iPhone. great. I mean, traveling with it so far, I've not had a problem, but I'm always a little bit paranoid when I'm traveling, especially when I'm in the US, because I feel like even though I speak fluent English and I tend to know where I'm going, like, I don't know, that I'm more likely to get lost. I have no idea why. Yeah. It's My brain is weird. You know, it is interesting. We talked about, um, you know, last episode, um, we had, you know, uh, Simon from Pushcuts on, and he was talking about how he has made the location aware thing to a new level by mm-hmm. by putting iBeacons in public places. <laughs> or not, if that's not legal, because, you know. I, we have no idea. I haven't looked it up. I don't know. No, you know but I the, don't know uh, either. But I think what he said was something like he like taped it to the back of a stop sign or something that's near a restaurant or something he goes to. And mm-hmm. I was like, that that was really smart. You know, so so think about the location aware thing outside of home and work. Maybe there's something you could do with that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that you can do, and this is something I really wanted to experiment with this, um, but unfortunately, I've been really busy this week, so I didn't get a chance to make it to the Apple store for testing purposes. Darn. Yeah. Um, there are apps out there. Um, I've been using BLE Scanner, uh, which stands for Bluetooth Low Energy Scanner. Yeah. And this can scan and show you a list of iBeacons around you. And you might be surprised to find that there are already iBeacons in a lot of places. A lot of home automation devices are actually iBeacons. Um, Apple stores are full of iBeacons. Um, and there are iBeacons in many, many places. So you could use these. Uh, you know, instead of um, attaching one to something or someone. You could just use their signal, yeah. Exactly. Um, And, like, for example, a tile, um, the key tracking things, they are Bluetooth low energy iBeacons. That's what they are. But they don't have the option. You can't copy the UUID in the tile app. 
But if you use something like the BLE scanner, this is unfortunately where being able to copy the uh, UUID would be super handy. But you can connect to a dial um, and see its UUID. So you yeah. can theoretically use that. Now, I've been trying to experiment with this. I haven't yet been successful, so I can't promise that that's going to work. But I would highly recommend that people try this out because if you already own devices like this, uh, this is a great way to give it a try. But please don't be too disappointed if it doesn't work. Yeah, I have not seen any of those where the UUID is encrypted. And as long as you have the UUID, you're in business. You may not be able to adjust the transmit uh, intensity. Uh, you know, I don't know. But the uh, but but you will be able to identify it and then you got a trigger. Yeah. And I would actually recommend, especially with something like a tile, don't adjust any of the settings, even yeah. if you find an app that will let you do that, because it may break other things in unexpected ways. Yeah, and kill the same your way tile. that I can almost yeah. guarantee it. Uh, and also the same way that David has previously gone into trouble for putting eye drops uh, on a button that turns on and off all the lights in the house, yeah. uh, you may get into trouble if you change something and it suddenly starts flashing all the lights in your house on and off or something similar or things just stop working in unexpected ways so i wonder what would happen if i like dropped an eye beacon in like galaxy's edge in disneyland somewhere i wonder how long it would last i am pretty certain there are already eye beacons there yeah uh from memory uh, i know disney world definitely already has these bands um that yeah. check people in and out for rides. But a lot of the stuff there, uh, the way that they track the flow of people and the number of people in a line yeah. uh, is nowadays based on technology, and some of this is using iBeacons. Yeah. So you might just want to open up a scanner app next time you're at Disney, David. Yeah, Disneyland doesn't use the bands, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have some iBeacons already um, broadcasting. So mm -hmm. I'll have to get into that and, and see how I can hack Disneyland, you know. <laughs> Say hack yes. Disneyland, basically, just basically turn those into triggers. I, I'm not even sure what I would want to trigger. You could trigger, like, your work mode, because you usually take your iPad to Disney and get on with some work, right? Yeah, but then when I don't work, I don't want to be thinking about it. So I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. But the, uh, Maybe I should check your calendar for time blocks. Sounds like a, sounds like a homework project for me. <laughs> well, I, I think you could have some fun with that. There we go. There we go. Um, so iBeacons, uh, overall, uh, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I would say it's a fun to fiddle with if you're into fiddling with stuff thing. If you just want something that you can set up and go, um, and you want iBeacons, you're going to have to go with the estimates. Uh, they are the least fiddly of the lot, uh, which is not saying that they are fiddle free, but, uh, in general, you can pretty much just set them up and run with them and just copy the UUID and go, and you don't need to tweak anything. Um, the only thing that you may want to change there is the advertising frequency. Apple recommends setting this to 100 milliseconds. This is going to be a little uh, harder on the battery life than the default 300 milliseconds that mine came set to. But uh, the batteries are replaceable in the estimates. So that's going to work pretty well. There's also a forum thread where people have got iBeacon recommendations. So you may want to take a look at that. Yeah, I, I second Rose's nomination of estimates. I know they're a little more expensive. But, you know, if you want to give this a try, at least give yourself a, a helping hand and get hardware that is is reliable. <laughs> and and yes. maybe we'll we'll, up, we'll update. Maybe I can get this this um, Blue Charm to work better and I'll report back. And I know Rose has a couple that she's ordered as well. But if the Amazon courier decides that my building has an entrance before this episode releases, then I promise I will write up uh, my experience with the Gigaset iBeacons. But I just, you know, I just... I, I'm not getting a lot of confidence because 
you know, you need an app that makes it easy to go in and, and edit this data that we're talking about. And, and SMO just is the gold standard so far. Yes. Um, I, I've, I've been looking, but I have not had a lot of success, mostly because uh, I don't need to edit the Estimo beacons in anything other than the Estimo apps. Um, so. Now, that being said, I think iBeacons are fun to play with. If you're an automator, oh, yeah. you, should, you should definitely give it a try. I don't think this is something that's earth shattering. You know, I think it's, it is fiddly. It, it's not going to work necessarily always the way you want it. And because Apple has done such a good job of increasing the other triggers and shortcuts and, and location and Wi-Fi are two that really stand out to me. Um, but Bluetooth connection is another one. Um, you know, they do overlap some existing features. So it, it's not necessarily that something you must do, but it's definitely worth trying. And mm-hmm. um, and and also, if you want to send feedback to Apple and say, hey, why don't we have iBeacons as triggers and shortcuts? I, I know they read that feedback. So Oh, yeah. And yeah. the more people that request something, I'm pretty certain the the higher up the, the food chain it goes so that they're going to be able to look at that. That said, I am really pleased with the Pushcut implementation because the way Pushcut works is you can have it show you a menu of things yeah. so that when I get home, I can have it show me a menu of different I'm home shortcuts if I want to. I, I decided to build most of the logic into the one shortcut, but my hotel one, for example, has a few different options. Um, uh, for when I get there, you know, am I, am I leaving again immediately and I'm just dropping something off and I need to double check that there's nothing else that I need to do? Um, or, um, you know, am I, am I there for the night or am I back for a little while to take a nap because I'm jet lagged? There's a few different options built into that. Thanks to Pushcut. And Pushcut is a must have if you want to do this stuff, because that's where you trigger the automations and just, it's, it's just a great app anyway, but it, it really is friendly to iBeacons. Yes, it is. Um, and um, the app has just been updated as we record um, to to have uh, some more uh, details about the iBeacon stuff in there. So I would highly recommend checking that out. And we're, we're getting ready to push the red button to record. And I saw the update notes just come out that now it's going to allow you to do web triggers off iBeacons without, mm-hmm. a, without a confirmation. So yeah, so you can have it do something on the internet automatically when you connect to an iBeacon. And you don't have to do anything like yeah. that's amazing. And I'm really trying to figure out what I want to do with that. I am thinking there. So I have um, some NanoLeaf light panels on the wall behind my desk. And my boyfriend hates them because they can light up the entire room. So it's yeah. basically the whole apartment. Yeah. I am so tempted to have these light up in different colors when I connect to different eye beacons just to annoy him further. Yeah, because you could do that through a webhook. And uh, mm-hmm. and, the, and NanoLeaf has, has webhook connection so you're good yeah yeah i mean i you could also just connect to something like if this and that yeah imagine imagine sending somebody an email every time you connect to an iBeacon. yeah I, I may be being a little bit evil today well either way uh it's great and uh and push cut is is definitely the way to actually turn this into an automation tool yes um, and it, it's a great app. I mean, we had Simon on last week, uh, the developer of Pushcut, and that was a great episode. If you haven't listened to that one, I would highly recommend going back and doing that because he also talks about how he uses iBeacons, um, and that will give you some more ideas. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN, high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. And you get three months for free with a one-month package when you go to expressvpn.com slash automators. So VPNs, we all need them. 
You know, VPN protects your privacy and security online, but did you know it can take your TV watching to the next level? Getting all these new streaming services rose, but they don't work everywhere. Like, Disney Plus isn't in England or the mm-hmm. UK. I said the wrong word. It's it's the United Kingdom. You you can't watch The Mandalorian and get all of the joy that is Baby Yoda. But you can unlock movies and shows that are available in other countries with something like ExpressVPN. You can use ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who, Star Trek, or The Mandalorian. Just fire up ExpressVPN and change your location to the country of choice. Then refresh the, the application and that's it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address so you can control where you want sites to think you're located and you can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just think about the Netflix and Disney Plus shows you want to see and you can make that happen. So if you love anime, you can use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix. And it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service like Hulu, BBC Player, YouTube, whatever you want. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. What you want when you're watching shows, there's no buffering, no lag, and you can stream in HD. Uh, ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, the phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want wherever you want. They gave me a a, a free sample of ExpressVPN when they first started sponsoring the show. When that ran out, I just started paying for it. I love it. They do a great job. I travel a lot so I can protect my my internet with it. Um, And if you go to this link right now, ExpressVPN slash automators, you'll get three extra months free with a one-year package. So to support the automators, watch what you want and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash automators. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Going back to the, the web triggers from the iBeacons, I just had a thought, uh, which is I have a Christmas tree plugged into smart plugs. Yeah. And whenever I get home, I can have the Christmas tree turn on. And I plug different lights into there at different times of the year. So I could have different lights turn on at different times of the year, uh, depending on, you know, what's plugged into them. I'm really liking this. One of the nicest things about the LED lights on Christmas trees is that they use ridiculously low power. Mm-hmm. So I have no guilt now. I keep my lights on almost all day on my tree. I just love walking around the house and seeing the tree lit up all day. It's just oh, I I leave mine on all the time when I'm at home, but it does feel like a little bit of a waste to have it not uh, to have it on when I'm not at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, because it. Well, it's usually I get home first and I leave home last out of uh, me and my partner. So um, it makes sense for me to be the one turning the lights on and off. And we already have the button by the door that turns everything off, including the Christmas tree. But now when I get home, the Christmas tree can automatically light up yeah, completely independently without me being involved, apart from being present. And, and with that new update to push cut, you could do that without even a notification screen. It just turns on. Exactly. Yeah. I am loving this idea. All right. We have to report back to see how that goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what else are you automating these days, Rose? Oh, I have, I've had one of those weeks where it felt, it's felt like I've had no time to do anything, but I've made time to automate stuff because it feels like I'm wasting 20, 30 minutes setting this stuff up to start with, but then it saves me at least 45 minutes while I'm actually doing whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and the first one of these is... Um, I do writing for the suite setup, um, and I um, put all the images and the article in a Dropbox folder. And I already had a shortcut that was uploading the images to a Dropbox folder, um, but they were too large. 
um, in general because screenshots that you take on an iPhone are really big nowadays yeah. because the iPhone <laughs> screen is so pretty. So there's a, um, there's a lot great. of light bulbs in that screen. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I create, I modified my shortcut. Um, it checks whether or not the width is greater than the height um, and then resizes it so that the largest dimension is 800 pixels and then the other one is automatically set. Um, and then it overlays them on a blank P PNG file, which is, um, and this is designed so that, for example, if you have a single iPhone screenshot and you put this into WordPress, WordPress will then make the width of the screenshot the entire width of the blog post. So then you're scrolling down and this is really, really big iPhone screenshot in the middle of your post. Yeah. And it looks absolutely ridiculous. So it overlays this onto a blank PNG. And this blank PNG is 1,000 by 800 pixels um, and is base64 encoded into my shortcut, which basically means I turned the image into a text block so I can just decode it every time instead of pulling that image out from somewhere. Um, yeah. And this not only makes my life a little bit easier because I should ideally be doing this, but it definitely makes the editor's lives easier because they don't then have to download all of my screenshots and run them through a shortcut themselves. It's just done for them. All right. A couple things there I want to pick apart. Uh, first thing you okay. said is it checks for the width versus the height. Yes. So what I'm doing is, um, uh, so I'll, I'll walk you through the entire shortcut because I think that that is the easiest thing to do. So and the first is, thing. And this is a shortcut space shortcut, right? Yeah. This okay. is a shortcut shortcut. So the first thing I do <laughs> is uh, I, I share an image yeah. to the shortcut. But if I don't share an image to the shortcut, then I use the if action. Um, and I say, if shortcut input does not have any value, select photos. And I've deleted the otherwise. Yeah. So this either gives me the shortcut input or the photo. Yeah. Uh, or my selected photos. So so then, the, the reason you do that is so you could take a screenshot and then just share it to the shortcut. Or yeah. you could run the shortcut and select it from your photo library. Exactly. So if I've taken screenshots, say, throughout the day as I was just getting on with my life and it was like, oh, yeah, this is the screenshot that I need for this article. And that's the screenshot I need for that article. I don't have to deal with it right then and there. Yeah. Um, and then after this, I have a text action, which has um, the base 64 encoded PNG image. And then I decode this. So there's an encode and decode um, for base 64 action. It's the same action. And I've just said this is a variable called background image, uh, just so I can get at it at any point in my shortcut. Then I go through each of the pictures, um, which could be shared to the shortcut or, um, or selected. Um, and then I, I show it to myself again, because while I have a great memory going through 15, short, uh, 15 screenshots, I will forget which one I'm on. And then it asks me for the name. It reformats the name a little bit to be lowercase, remove spaces, and things like that. And then it gets that repeat item. So that's the one image that we're working on. And it gets the width of that. And it says if it's greater than or equal to the height of that image. Um, and then it resizes it to 800. Um, and if you don't put anything in the height for the resize, it sets it to auto height. And this is where shortcuts is really smart because in my otherwise, it's basically the other way around. So it says resize is my photo, which is my repeat item, uh, to um, to the auto width times 800. Yeah. And then it overlays it onto that background image that I decoded earlier. I need to interrupt there. Sorry. I, yeah. Maybe I'm dense, but now the the screenshot of an iPhone is never going to have a greater width than height. No, but I may have taken screenshots on my iPad, or maybe I took it in landscape mode. 
Gotcha. There are a few possibilities there because I use this shortcut in lots of places. Okay. I even share my Mac screenshots to this. Okay. Because I'm really nerdy like that. All right. So, uh, so that's then, basically a filter to get yeah. those out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that I can deal with any kind of screenshots um, here. Um, then um, it, after it's done the overlay, it then checks if the width is less than or equal to the height and adds 20 to the height um, and crops it if necessary. Then I set the name um, and then I save all the variables into a Dropbox folder so that I can easily access them and so I can share them with the team. Now, do you, got, do you do an overlay of the iPhone frame on it? Uh, so I have already done that with Pixo um, when I take the screenshot pretty much. Uh, I don't send these out to put frames on top of them just because adding that inside the shortcut feels like a lot of work when I'm doing things. And I'm there going, oh, my God, I've spent 45 minutes dealing with, you know, like 45 screenshots. Yeah. Um, and so I tend to, you know, I'm sitting there, um, you know, I've just taken the screenshot. I'll open Pixo and frame it nicely and delete any bits that need deleting then. Because if I have to remember to blur data out later, I will absolutely 110% forget. Yeah. Whereas if I do that, as soon as I take that screenshot, it's not going to get forgotten. All right. And so Pixo, you do the, you run Pixo on the image before you put it into this, uh, this workflow. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with Pixo. So it's Pixo a, is a really lovely app. I think it was a dollar or something. They recently changed their model. So it's now a free app with an in-app purchase, I think. Um, but when you select an image in Pixo, um, so the idea is it's one of these scrolling screenshot applications. So you could select two, two photos um, and then you can say scroll shot, vertical or horizontal. And that's how it's going to combine them. So if you select scroll shot, it's going to try and overlay the images and crop out like the top and the bottom navigation bar in the middle um, to um, to match them up and turning into a long screenshot. Um, and if you say vertical or horizontal, then it's just going to stack them on top of each other. But if you just select the one image and then you tap adjust, under the tools menu, there is... Um, a little phone icon. And if you tap that, then you can select uh, different color devices. And if you tap the settings icon, then you can choose from different devices. So you could say that you have an iPhone 11 Pro in you know, the uh, fantastic midnight green, um, or you have an iPhone 8 Plus, an iPad Pro, or an Apple Watch Series 4. Um, and you can actually frame... Um, an iPhone screenshot in an Apple Watch Series 4 because it will stretch the Apple Watch uh, frame to fit the content. Yeah. Which looks kind of crazy, um, but that may be the artwork of this chapter. Uh, so double check. <laughs> yeah, I do, because I just do a shortcut with an embedded frame and then mm -hmm. I update it whenever I get a new phone. But now there are a bunch of apps named Pixo here. Oh, okay. Is it, is it uh, this is P-I-C-S-E-W. It's a white uh, icon with a purple P on it. And it is linked in the show notes for anybody oh, listening Pixo. at home. So I was thinking P-I-X-O. Ah. Yes. Pick so as in to sew pictures together. Got it. And of course, I have already downloaded it at some point because... <laughs> it's a really useful application. I've yeah. had these shortcuts before, which... Uh, frame um, images, but at some point they always seem to break. 
Um, and it's really annoying. Um, and I found Pixo and it works every time. And it even has. So next to the phone icon, uh, there's like a signal icon. And if you tap that, then it automatically cleans up the signal at the top. So it doesn't look like your iPhone needs charging. The yeah. time is set to 9.41 a.m. You have full signal and full Wi-Fi. Yeah, I, I need to like start using this app because I just do it with the shortcut. And this, this is more powerful. And, and the ability to make small edits is nice too, right in the app. Yeah. Um, and it it has like a blur option as well. So you can like... Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, pixelate some sections or something, which is really useful if you if you have data in there that you need to get rid of. It's sure. even got some little markup options as well. Though I tend to just use the the iPhone uh, native the uh, photos native uh, markup tools if I need to mark up any images there. That sounds like you're doing a good job with this. I find it a really easy to use workflow. Um, it did take me a little while to set up the shortcut, and in general, my workflow the way that is the most useful. Um, but, um, it's been really helpful now that I've got it there. It doesn't take me much time at all to deal with the screenshots and then it's just done. Yeah. You said you had another one too this month. Yeah. So, um, last week I, uh, had one of those things. I was writing an article and I put a bunch of empty links in it as you do. And I wrote in markdown. So this means I had some text surrounded by square brackets, followed by two open round brackets. Yeah, with nothing and in them. I, yeah, with nothing in them. Because I was in the middle of writing and I didn't want to stop and get, you know, a link to the drafts uh, scripting directory. And I didn't want to get a link to Pixo and yeah. the other things that I was writing. Uh, I just wanted to write and think about that later. And then I had to go through and find all these. And so I did a find and I used... Um, I didn't have to use regular expressions, but I did because I wanted to. Um, and then I realized, why am I doing the same find and replace every single time? Yeah, because the, the find would be what? Close bracket, open bracket, close bracket all together. Yeah, basically. Um, and it, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense. I was like, I could write a draft section for this. And last week, drafts for Mac launched yeah. with actions. Um, so it updated yeah. to we be We should precise. have mentioned and that earlier. The congratulations yeah, to Greg. Been. I mean, yeah, so Drafts is the app we've been talking about on iOS forever. Now it's on, it's been on Mac, but now it has actions. Awesome. Yeah. And it's so good. Uh, I love it. And I've got a link to my review um, for that in the show notes as well. But I, I realized I could write a Drafts action for this. And so I did. I wrote a Drafts action, um, which finds um, all of the empty links, but it then shows them to you in a prompt so that you can just have this prompt open. You can, you know, especially on a Mac, you can put drafts on one side of your screen and Safari on the other and find all those links and just paste them all in and click OK. And then drafts just goes and it runs through and fixes all of those for you. Yeah. Um, and that that's great. No more fiddling with the mouse to, to like land it between the two uh, exactly. parentheticals. It's just it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just shows you a list of them as well. And it doesn't doesn't show you like, for example, open square brackets, drafts, close square brackets, open round bracket, close round bracket. No, no, no. It just shows you drafts. Um yeah. and then you paste the link to drafts next to it if if that's what is inside your your link there. And you're um, doing that with a drafts action. Yeah, a JavaScript action that I wrote. Yeah. You could also do that with keyboard maestro if you wanted. Yeah, you could. Uh, I just wrote it in drafts because I also need to use this on my iPad and occasionally on my iPhone. Yeah. Um, and that can be a um, little fiddly to send something off to keep up maestro in the background to do that. No, I mean, oh yeah, I'm sure no, I you could. You don't want to do that. No, but, that's a bad uh, idea. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe maybe that's your homework for this week. I don't know. Uh, well, I was just thinking you could do it in Keyboard Master without writing JavaScript. You could you could yeah. just make it an easy search and replace in a, a variable for the in a in a paste, or you could even just grab the clipboard contents and automatically insert yeah. it. But yeah, that, that's that's cool, and I like that. I think drafts action makes sense because that's the app you're running it in. It has automation yeah. tools built in. I think you uh, you're right on there. Did you share that to the drafts um, automation library yet? Uh, yeah, I shared it to the action directory, and I've got a little blog post on how it works um, as well, which I'll link to in the show notes. Nice one. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Kensington, the people who make universal docking stations that are designed to increase productivity. You can get access to more ports and make your sleek MacBook, Chromebook, or other laptop as powerful as a desktop. It's plug and play with no drivers, so you can enjoy up to a dual 4K display with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors, plus USB 3.0, USB-C, and Thunderbolt 3 with power delivery available. The Kensington engineering team has three decades of experience in high-volume manufacturing of hardware IT products, plus rigorous test cycles and quality control, means all of their products are tested above industry standards. If you're an IT decision maker looking to find the right docking solutions for your organization, check Kensington's Pro Concierge program and test drive a docking solution today. Visit kensington.com slash automators right now to check out Kensington. That's kensington.com slash automators to learn more. Our thanks to Kensington for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So David... I'm not the only person who's been solving automation problems, am I? Yeah, but I haven't been running any JavaScript. Mine is a little more basic, but I took a real hard look at my um, my legal setup automation uh, in the last few weeks. You know, I've got this Stream Deck that I love, and um, I'm working on an update to the Keyboard Maestro Field Guide to show off everything it can do. But, you know, it's great because you can connect the Stream Deck to a Keyboard Maestro as a trigger. Mm-hmm. And it just the idea of system setups with these buttons is very, I find very handy. I mean, you could also do all this stuff with keyboard shortcuts. You don't need to buy a Stream Deck. But for some reason, the idea of sitting at your computer, tapping a button, and then getting to work is, is really nice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, but I wasn't happy with the automation for the legal stuff I do. I'm fortunate I've got a 27 inch screen. And then I've got two 4K vertical screens on either side. So it's like an iMac with big ears. And um, so I've got all the screen real estate to use. And when I sit down to do legal work, I wanted to have a better system for it. And so I, you know, I, I've got a video on YouTube. I'll share it in the show notes for the show of how I use Keyboard Maestro to do system setups. And the Keyboard Maestro field guide goes into it in even excruciating detail if you're interested. But the um, but in general, the right screen for me is always calendar with a week view on the top and OmniFocus on the bottom. It's like, if I look to the right, I can see my appointments and I can see my tasks at all times. But I have all this other space that I wanted to do things with. And I wanted to get better at automating it. One of the things I do with law practice is I run a lot of stuff out of Basecamp. And I talked about on the automators uh, either last episode or two episodes ago about the fact that I'm just starting to lose faith in these um, web application native Mac apps. You know, um, you know, Airtable, um, Quip, a lot of the apps that we use that are basically, you know, kind of windows into a web service. They just don't work that well. And and mm-hmm. another one that's on that list for me is Basecamp. I mean, they have a nice app, but 
they are better on the web. I mean, and I run a bunch of legal stuff out of Basecamp. So the nice thing is I can get a specific URL for very particular locations in Basecamp where I run my, my legal practice out of. So I thought, well, I could combine that with Keyboard Maestro. So now when I hit the button to do legal work, the first thing it does, it blows out, it clears all the windows off my system. It opens the calendar to the legal calendar. It opens OmniFocus to the legal tasks. It opens up multiple tabs in Safari in Basecamp based on, you know, that it opens my online billing system. And so I just have a real custom set of Safari tabs that just opens automatically. And mm-hmm. then those drop, uh, those go to the upper left portion of the left monitor. And then the the lower portion, all the other apps that I'm using get get relegated to the lower half of the left external monitor. And the iMac is clear. You know, the iMac screen is clear mm-hmm. and that's where I open up Microsoft Word and Excel spreadsheets. And, you know, that's where I actually do work. But mm-hmm. I've got all this reference stuff and it's working out really great for me uh, with this new system. And one of the the triggers to this was just, you know, the realization that, well, I'm doing a bunch of work on web-based services. So why don't I just use Safari to run these? And then I can use these custom URLs to really open it up exactly the way I want. I, I don't think I could automate opening applications for Basecamp to get specific projects open the way I can with the way I'm doing it, you know, on the web. So it, it's just mm-hmm. really uh, handy. And it sounds dumb. It took me, you know, 15 minutes to set this up. But every time I sit down now and push the button on my stream deck and all the decks get cleared and the, the right projects get set up, it feels pretty good. I recently got a Stream Deck as well. I only got the 16 button one uh, to start with, um, and I have a feeling that is going to become my uh, my laptop Stream Deck, and I'm going to be getting the 32 button one yeah. uh, from my Mac. Um, but uh, I have to say, my my proudest uh, st- uh, Stream Deck button right now, though, is toggling the Christmas tree lights on and off because then I can press the button at night when I'm going to bed, um, and it will turn the Christmas tree lights off as I leave the room. And I really like that. So is that a webhook that you're hitting, or what? Uh, so there is actually a Hue plugin for Stream Deck um, that you can uh, install, and you can have toggle buttons on the Stream Deck as well. Yeah. And so when it's on, um, then um, it shows up as one color. Um, mine is set to green for on and red for off because those are also Christmassy colors. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it just toggles. So also if if somebody else in my apartment gets up and turns off the christmas tree at some point then i can just press a button on my stream deck and turn it back on yeah it seems kind of i can just see you sitting there with him turning it off and then you just reaching over and turning it back on and then i'm turning it off (laughs) well i mean the thing is though is uh so he gets up and he presses the buttons on the the smart switches that we have uh, to turn them off and so he's standing next to the Christmas tree and he's turned it off. And then I press the button on my stream deck and turn it back on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I may be somewhat evil, but I'm doing it to spread the Christmas cheer. Yeah, I'm doing like, I've got the top row. I, I bought the 32 button one. I figured in for a penny and for a pound. I bought mm. the, the, and the top row is all context setting, you know, mm-hmm. where it gets me to legal setup, the podcasting, the, you know, the screencast stuff. So it's just, it's really nice. And then the far right one is the sleep when I have the little Death Star icon. I press that button. And there's a keyboard shortcut on my keyboard I can press to put it to sleep. But this is a different sleep because it closes apps. 
it runs a, a true keyboard maestro script that does things as opposed mm. to just shutting the screen down. And then hmm. I've got um, web, you know, like uh, podcast production and web stuff built into some of the buttons. I've got music buttons. Uh, I've got one where I can press and get into the blog writing setup. It's just, I'm really having fun with it. I still have seven or eight that I have not filled yet. And that's all potential for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look into this Hue app. I, Hue integration, I didn't realize that existed. I Thus far, I've been putting all my buttons through Keyboard Maestro. I have actually um, been doing something slightly different. I've been uh, experimenting with anything but the Keyboard Maestro integration, because I know you've been focusing on the Keyboard Maestro integration. And I am sensing that we may have a Stream Deck show in our future of how to automate your Mac with your Stream Deck. Maybe, uh, maybe. These these things are great fun, and they're a lot easier to program than iBeacons, unfortunately, for the iBeacon. But fortunately for the Stream Deck. I mean, it it really is, I guess, in like iBeacons, it's just another trigger. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a button you you can press. And you can, because it's got Keyboard Maestro integration, and because Keyboard Maestro can literally do anything, um, you can make your anything you do on your Mac, you can do it. I mean, you could press a button and it could open a new word processing document and paste text for you. I mean, whatever it is that you want to do, um, yeah. you could do through the Stream Deck. And granted, you know, I, I guess the big qualifier in all this, because I'm working on the video on that on the update for the field guide right now, is like, do you need this? I don't think anybody mm-hmm. really needs it because, like, using the the hyper key, the caps lock key, you can get a lot of things like I've got the number pad on my keyboard and that's a whole set of numbers, uh, keys I can use to trigger automations. But, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm somebody who doesn't like a lot of excess stuff on my desk, but I just find this thing really delightful to use. And especially, like I said, when I'm sitting down to start work, um, it's got little, an led, uh, a screen behind these buttons. So you can use custom icons. I got those, um, a bunch of Star Wars icons I use for some of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so you can set them up just the way you want. Like I've got one that's just called do D O and it's mm-hmm. got a little Yoda head on it, you know, for that famous Yoda quote, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do or do not, there's no try. But like when I need to get the most important things on my day done and it, then it, it parses out OmniFocus to some specific focuses. It gives me some apps to get the work done. I press the do button and it's just like, okay, I'm going to do things now. And, I don't know. I, I find it kind of fun uh, to have. And for some of the podcasting stuff is really great too. I'm going to be doing, I guess I can talk about it here. I haven't announced it yet, but I'm going to be doing free uh, Zoom conferences for some of my field guide customers at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting that set up. And I think it, it the Stream Deck is actually made for that, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm going to get it set up um, with the buttons configured for streaming, you know, and, uh, and, some of the stuff as well, but I, I agree. I think if you're looking for something on your, uh, your holiday list, if there's still time for that, when the show publishes, it may be too late, but the, uh, uh, you want to buy yourself something fun in the new year. Stream deck yeah. may be on your list. Yes. I, I got mine on Amazon. It, it said that it was, um, it, so it was one of the Amazon warehouse deals. Um, and it said it was had some minor scratches on the front and or rear side, and it's mint condition. I'm really happy with it, and it works perfectly. Uh, it's a really lovely little device, and it's nice. It's fun to sit down and literally press the automators button and have it open the right apps that I need to record an automators episode. Uh, but if it's plugged into my Mac Mini, which is in the other room, uh, then it the automators button opens 
just quip for uh, our show notes so I can do my preparation and uh, opens the the right web pages for me too. Uh, it's really nice. Uh, some aspirational automation in my life right now is I'm just increasingly aware of my usage of Airtable. Um, you know, I just, cause I've got like Airtable setups for the law practice and for Max Sparky and like with the field guides, the, the people who are helping me in the back end, the Airtable is where we keep each other updated as to who's working on what, mm-hmm. um, with my legal stuff. I've, you know, like there's a bunch of corporate compliance stuff I do and I've got an Airtable doing that. And I'm starting to realize I haven't hit the number of records yet that require me to pay. But I'm starting to really look at what do I get if I upgrade to a paid account and would I be able to like create some better automation with it if I did so? Like, could I get like some sort of notification when, you know, a client's secretary of state filing deadline hits or something like that? So I am, uh, I haven't automated Airtable as much as I'd like to, but that I'm looking very hard at you, Airtable, and how you can help me even more. I have found with Airtable, because, for example, I share a base with you for automators, and I share a base with Scotty, my co-host over at Nested Folders. Um, But if you share even one um, base, uh, I think they're called, um, in Airtable uh, with uh, somebody else um, in that group of bases, then you have to pay for all of those people. um, So, for example, say you have three different bases, but in total that's shared between six different people, you would have to pay for seven people every month. Yeah. But Airtable will let you create as many groups of base workspaces. That's what it's called. It's a workspace. Yes. Um, and so I have a nested folders workspace um, and I have an automators workspace. And those are just, you know, the, the in this case, the one base in each that's shared with you. But I have all of my bases in another workspace cunningly called my bases um, and that's the only one that i pay for the premium on because i was running into that record limitation and it was getting very frustrating to try and juggle things around and can i split this up into different you know can i split this up into different uh bases and does that work like that and things like that and the answer was no it doesn't just pay the money for it because it's well worth it for me um i've got a lot of things going on in there right now um, i've got all of the stuff that i used to manage my screen cast online work in there and that is automated with Podio and uh, Airtable and some Zapier and some shortcuts and some drafts all mixed in there and I'm really loving the fact that now I've got it set up I can just do everything with a few taps. It doesn't look like you get like a lot of automations stuff with the paid account and really you'd have to do the $20 a month paid account because Mm -hmm. um, the $10 just gives you more records and I'd be looking for like the styling options and the calendar features and some of the stuff they've got for the paid account. But you're right. And that's something I just realized in researching this a few days ago is that you don't just pay and get it across your account. It's each workspace you pay. Yeah. Like I have a workspace for personal. I have one for Max Sparky and one for legal. If I wanted to upgrade all of those just for me, that would be $60 a month. But because I have two other people accessing some of these bases, I would guess I'd be paying for all three of us each mm-hmm. month. So it, it could get quite expensive pretty fast. Yeah. But I, uh, but I, I'm really interested because I, I am using the tool a lot and it is a great collaborative, you know, spreadsheet slash database. Yes. I am really enjoying it. And I've, I've got some ideas of some things that I'd like to do next year with my Airtable setup, but I am 
currently in the end of your crunch. So as much as I would like to sit down and spend nothing, do nothing more than spend a couple of hours playing with Airtable, um, I am not letting myself do that because there is other work that needs to be done first. Yeah, I got, I got, for some reason, I got recently multiple emails from listeners and readers saying that I need to be using Notion for a bunch of this stuff, you know. I have tried Notion and I love it. But I really don't like that it has no automation in, oh, options. It doesn't have Zapier integration. They don't have an API. Um, and unfortunately, their their apps don't have offline support, which for me is a deal breaker. But I love the idea of Notion. So when they get an API and some automation integrations, uh, then I'm going to go back and look at it again. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like I'm spending a lot of money between Basecamp and Airtable and some of these other services I'm using. If this could combine everything, that would be great. But it just seems to me like at this point, my testing of it was a jack of all trades and a master of none. You know, like one of the things that's very good with Basecamp is when I send an email on a client related matter, each matter has a custom email that that, mm -hmm. that copies the email in essence into the Basecamp for it. So all that's collected. There's no way to do that with Notion. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I don't think I'm going to jump on board with that yet. But it, it is interesting that, like, I'm starting to look at all these web services, and it's starting to, to turn into real money for me in terms of expense. But the um, but I'm also getting a lot of, of use out of them. So I guess the thing I'm thinking, if I'm going to, to be using these, I need to even get better at some of the automation between them. Well, it's one of those things where uh, I think we can both find some time next year to play with all this stuff even more. Yeah, I, I think definitely in 2020, I want to uh, to even even go further down the cloud based automation stuff. I'm very good mm -hmm. at making shortcuts and and stuff on my Mac, but cloud based stuff is stuff I'm doing, but I haven't dove in all the way. I think I need to to get better at that next year. Well, that's that's an automation goal that I can agree with. There you go. All right. Well, we are the automators. You can find us over relay fm slash automators. And, uh, you know, we got the forum, you know, Rose and I are always publishing stuff on the websites. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. What are you doing with iBeacon? Let us know in the forum. We need to do a follow-up show pretty soon anyway, Rose. It's been a long time oh, yes, since we've done we do. one of those. And uh, so, so let us know. We'd love to hear it, uh, especially hardware. I feel like we didn't give the listeners enough options today on hardware, but we're working on it. But we don't want to recommend something unless we're really happy with it. And there's just not that many yet on the iBeacon front. Um, either way. Thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, ExpressVPN, FreshBooks, and Kensington. And we'll see you in a few weeks. Goodbye, everybody.